0: Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Luke chapter two. Uh, we've got the Christmas trees, we got the Christmas music as Brian already said, might as well get the Christmas text. So we're gonna jump right into the Christmas text. But let, let me set, set this up. As you've already seen with the Advent uh, candle, and, and thank you Anderson family, you, you all did that so well, really did. This is a different kind of season. And if you didn't grow up in a liturgical church, I did not grow up in a liturgical church, you may not ever even have heard of Advent or maybe it's something that sounds, it's, well, that's just Catholic or whatever. And if you grew up in a different kind of context, then maybe that has some baggage from your childhood or whatever. Here's what I wanna explain. Advent is a word that means arrival or coming. And it's a season in the church calendar. There's four Sundays of Advent that lead up to Christmas. It's a season where we're challenged to prepare. Prepare for the coming of Christ. You might think, well, what are you talking about? Christ already came. That was his first advent. Traditionally, advent has always been about the two advents in the fact that we live in between the two. We look back on the first and celebrate and worship Christ, the newborn king, and we look forward to the second and prepare for his coming again to be the king who will sit on the throne. And so we find ourselves in between the two Advents of Jesus, and it is a season of preparation. I find it interesting how much time and money and energy we spend on preparing our homes and our lawns for Christmas, and we don't spend time preparing our hearts. Advent is designed to give us this time and space. So that's why we're stepping out of our John series, and we're going to spend four intentional weeks in the Advent season talking about this theme of make room. So I want you to imagine you have just learned that uh, someone from out of town that you care about and love is gonna visit you. You haven't seen them in a long time. Maybe it's a close friend from college or high school. Maybe it's a family member somewhere from far away. They've never been to Nashville before. You're gonna have three days with them and you have four weeks to prepare for their arrival. What are you going to do? First thing, you're probably thinking, where are they gonna sleep? Where are they gonna stay? Second thing, what are we gonna eat? <laughs> what meals am I gonna cook? Where am I gonna take them when we eat out? What's my favorite restaurant? What might they like? What do I know about their tastes and preferences? Third, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna spend our time? Maybe if you're detail-oriented, you're right out a schedule, and you'll get their input. What do you wanna see when you're in Nashville? These kinds of things. My point is this, you would intentionally prepare for the arrival. This season is an opportunity for us to prepare. Prepare our hearts. There's a little, one of my favorite lines in a Christmas carol is from Joy to the World, let every heart prepare him room. And that's what we're going to be all about. We're gonna be preparing our hearts by asking questions like, why was Jesus born and what does it mean to me? How much do I need him, really? How am I doing these days, this past year, as I have walked through life with Jesus? Jesus. How good is God's grace in sending Christ to us? When we look at the Christmas story and we take it section by section, we find all kinds of people making room for Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most obvious but often overlooked parts of the story. And I've titled the message this morning, Making Room When There Is No Room. It's ironic as I've thought about this message that the season that is set aside to make room for Jesus, to prepare our hearts for Jesus is probably the busiest time of year. It's the hardest season to take time. It's the hardest time of year to really pause and consider and reflect and make room. The most wonderful time of the year is also the most stressful time of the year. So I bet you if I had all of your calendars in front of me on your phone, I would see about a dozen things over the next month that aren't normally on your calendar in a typical month that are on your calendar this year. Jody and I were looking ahead to next weekend. We invited her uh, parents to come up from Atlanta because Friday night we have the Christmas tree lighting, which one of our daughters is singing in, which I I always love that. Saturday we have two piano recitals, which happen to conflict with the SEC championship game which George is playing in, which I'm not very happy about. (laughs) Sunday, we have a vocal uh, performance for our other daughter after church, and then in the evening, we're going to Andrew Peterson, Behold the Lamb, which will be super fun. But we started adding it all up, and we're like, we got her parents coming in the midst of that. Then we have some other friends from Atlanta coming to go to the concert with us on Sunday night. How are we going to make room for all this? This is the idea. This is the spirit that we find all of ourselves in. And so how can we possibly make room when everything is so crowded? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, the beginning of the beginning of the story of Jesus, so to speak. And I want to read what will be very familiar words to most of us in the room and then take some time to unpack them. In those days, this is verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. A lot of information packed into five verses. What I wanna point out, first of all, is notice how Luke is placing the birth of Jesus in the context of a real historical time and place. He, he doesn't start the story of Jesus' birth with long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, or you know, once upon a time. Or, when you hear those phrases, you know, this is not a true story, but it'll be a good story or you know a story that I can be inspired by. Luke doesn't start the story that way. Luke anchors the birth of Jesus in real time and place. He's talking about it as if it really happened because it did. Luke was a contemporary of the disciples. He hung out with them. He was an early follower of Jesus. He he would have been around the same age as Jesus. He was alive when these events happened. He was interviewing Mary, Jesus's mother. He was talking to the people that were there on the scene. And so when he sat down to write the narrative of Jesus' birth, he wasn't intending to write a Christmas story. He wasn't writing a legend. He wasn't writing something that, that he was embellishing. He was putting ink to paper and saying, this is how it was. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, do you remember that one year? That's when it happened. The year of the first census, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. An historical event requires a real time and a real place. And that is exactly how Luke begins his narrative. So we have to realize most people in our cultural context, when they hear these words, read by Charlie Brown, or whatever, Linus, or whoever is reading it, or whenever they hear this story, they're immediately going to like fairy tale world. They're like, oh, yeah, that's like, I'll put that on the shelf with Dickens' Christmas um, Carol and uh, the Polar Express. You know, that's not what this is. This was news, not story. And now, now, why does this matter? Like, what does this have to do with making room? You don't have to make room for fiction. But you do have to make room for news. Now, maybe not all news you have to make room for. There's plenty of news out there that that might be irrelevant. You know, it it will never touch your life. And and many of us don't like to watch the news anymore because it's depressing. But there are certain news events that rise to a level that you cannot ignore them. There's the obvious ones that might come to your mind, you know, 9-11 or whatever, but there's other personal ones. That would come into your life that maybe was only news to you, a diagnosis that you got or a loved one got or a loss that you experienced or a job change or something has come in your world. It's not a fairy tale. It's real. And you have to pay attention because it affects you. I was thinking of, a, of an example that we might all relate to or most relate to in the room. Raise your hand if you were living in Nashville on Christmas Day 2020. Two years ago, Christmas Day 2020. Okay, I know that's uh, not everybody because we've got a lot of folks that have moved in. But on Christmas Day 2020, if you were living in Nashville, you could not ignore, I see that hand buddy still raising up. You were here. On Christmas Day 2020, you could not ignore an explosion that occurred in downtown Nashville where, where there was an RV that was, had bombs on it, and exploded, and it, it took out part of the AT&T building downtown. okay. Now I want you to raise your hand if your either your cell phone or your internet went down because of that event. Okay, I'm looking around the rooms like a lot of you. Okay, we, um, we were not on at and for our cell phones or our internet, but my sister, who lives in Spring Hill, were, and a bunch of our friends were, and, and those of you that raise your hands, some of you, you had no communication. You couldn't call, you couldn't go on email, you couldn't go, I mean, you had nothing, and Whatever your plans were, whatever was going on in your world and your time on Christmas Day 2020, this impacted it. You could not ignore this event that had happened 50 miles up the road or 30 miles up the road or however far you live from Nashville. And by the way, I did some research on this this week. The outages, some of them went as far as Atlanta. Some of the emergency services were disrupted, like the 9-11, like, I mean, the 9-1-1 stuff. That, that kind of gets scary when those kinds of things happen. Here's my point. If Christmas were just a legend, or a nice story or a myth, there'd be no need to make room. You could keep going about your day, going about your month, going about your season, crowd out Jesus from your life all you want to with all the dozens of things that are on your calendar. But if the incarnation is real, in other words, if that baby was actually God in a human body, well, then there's nothing that has ever happened in history that has as much importance and relevance to every human being. The birth of Jesus is not just a story, Luke is saying. It's not a legend. He's grounding it in real time, in real place. Here's what Luke is saying. In the Christmas event, God interrupted history and every human must make room for that event. Every human must. And so you think about the implications of that event, even in the way that we talk about our own history. You know, Luke wouldn't have known this at the time, but we actually center our calendars around around the birth of Jesus, don't we? There's a before and there's an after, historically. And I know, you know, they've changed the words to be politically correct, but the dates are still the same. There's before Jesus, there's after Jesus. That's the kind of impact that he had. Now, in the context of this massive historical event, that every human being must make room for, in a sense, must, must reckon with, and do they believe it, do they not believe it, what does it mean for them? In the context of this massive event, notice that on the first Christmas, there were actually only two people in the world whose lives were significantly interrupted, at least at first, only two people. Only two people were forced to make room at the arrival of Jesus. And of course, these were Mary and Joseph, and and we were introduced to them in our text this morning. We we meet Joseph, he's from the city of David, Bethlehem, and he's betrothed, he's engaged, but it, it was a stronger form of engagement, it was between our engagement and marriage. He was betrothed to a young woman named Mary, who we learn here was with child. Now, let's talk about these two young people for just a minute. It is hard for us to imagine what it would have been like for them and in that culture, but two young people, we know Mary was almost certainly a teenager. Joseph was likely very young as well. These two young people doing things according to their customs, doing things according to the law. We know that they were both righteous people according to the scripture. That doesn't mean they're perfect. <laughs> that just means their, their hearts were open to God. And suddenly their world Is turned upside down. They have no choice but to make room for the news that is given to them by a messenger of God. First to Mary, you're with child. Then to Joseph. That child that's inside of Mary is of the Lord. They were forced to make room. And if that wasn't enough, this massive interruption, you know, in their plans, some. Caesar, you know, some um, ruler that they'll never meet in their lives that, that lives in a faraway place called Rome. He has a, a, a bad day one day where he decides, hey, I need to take a census of everybody because I, I, I need to, to feel better about myself or get more money from taxes. You know, These are all probably the motivations that he had. He takes this census and the census turns out it will require Joseph to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the exact time that Mary is expecting to have her baby. How inconvenient, how disruptive. 90 miles for you and me is not a big deal. You know, that's like from here to Cookville. If you had some tax business you had to take care of in Cookville, you could be there and back in half a day. 90 miles at this time for these folks would have been about a week's journey one way And and oh, by the way, they were either sleeping outdoors or maybe under a tent on their journey, or, or perhaps they were going from town to town trying to find friends or family that they could house them and all the awkwardness of this unexpected pregnancy. Terrible timing, difficult circumstances, a trip that no one would choose on their own to take. And yet, if you step back from the narrative, you see that these events are unfolding, not because of some tyrannical ruler in Rome decreed it, but because the one true God was bringing about his purposes and his plan and his timing. God was sending his redeemer and he was doing it exactly on schedule. It might not have felt that way to Mary and Joseph. It might might have felt terribly inconvenient to them, terribly difficult for them, but here's what I want you to hear. God's providence is behind every decree, every inconvenience and every hardship that this young couple endured. Now, speaking of God's timing, look what happens at verse six. And while they were there in in the city of David, Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. Who decreed that that would be the time? God decreed that that would be the time. It was his child. Everything about this was God's initiative, God's timing, God's plan. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The prophet Micah, hundreds of years before, had foretold where the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem. I don't know if Mary and Joseph knew that. Probably Joseph was more educated in the the, the law and the prophets than Mary would have been. But if an angel came to you, and said, you're gonna have the Messiah. I bet you Mary would have done some you know, questioning, gone to the rabbi and said, hey, just, just asking, just because I'm curious. <laughs> what do you know about this promised Messiah, etc." And, and I have to believe when they walked into Bethlehem, if there was something in the back of their mind saying, as terribly inconvenient as this is, we recognize God's hand in bringing us to Bethlehem at this time. It was God who put Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem at the right time, And it was God's good purpose that his plan be fulfilled. Galatians 4.4, it's a Christmas verse buried in one of Paul's epistles, Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Mary and Joseph would never have planned it this way, guys. This was not on their radar. Mary and Joseph did not have room in their crazy schedules to add an unplanned pregnancy and an unexpected trip to a distant location. They did not have room, but God made room. Reflect on that for just a minute and start thinking about your own life. None of us sit here this morning with our lives going just the way we thought they would go or that we had wanted them to go. None of us. No one can live very long and escape pain and loss, inconvenience, disappointment, hardship, cruelty, confusion. It's all part of living in this place that we live in, this fallen place. We do the best that we can to insulate ourselves from the brokenness, fallenness. We may be more successful at that than any culture in any time and place before us, but we cannot insulate ourselves from the groaning of the planet. The Bible tells us that in ways that we cannot fully understand, God is at work in the groaning. God is at work in the mess, and he works at the level of nations and rulers and presidents and prime ministers, absolutely. But he also works in the itty-bitty, nitty-gritty of your life and my life and things that come into your path unexpected, inconveniences, difficulties, news that you didn't want, God's hand is in it. So part of making room this Advent season is recognizing in the Christmas story the truth that God is in control. There was something that you all said as you were talking about your Advent verse, That reminded me of this. God is in control, therefore you can trust him. If your faith is shaky this Christmas, I would invite you to say, do I actually believe God is in control? And if you do believe God is in control, do you believe he loves you? Because if you can anchor yourselves to those two truths, God's in control and God loves me, That's where you'll find peace. And guess what you find when you take a hard look at the Christmas story? God's in control. These events happen exactly as he predicted and planned and said they would. And he loves me. He sent himself. He sent his son. The second person of the Trinity born into the brokenness. Why? To put flesh on love. The Christmas story is a reminder that God is moving right now in your life according to his purposes and plans through unexpected events, perhaps through unpleasant people, maybe in unremarkable places and at inconvenient times. Christmas story reminds us that nothing is happenstance or coincidental when the veil is pulled back and all of history is seen we see that God is the one whose will will be done. So the birth happened precisely in God's time, but it also happened precisely in God's place. And I'm not just talking about Bethlehem, although that, that for sure is one. By the way, I didn't mention this in the previous service. It didn't occur to me. Anyone know what Bethlehem means? It's bait, lechem. Anyone know what that means? Yeah, house of bread, bait is house, lechem is bread. House of bread, from the house of bread, the bread of life came. It's a cool little detail as we're studying John and talking about the bread of life. But So he's born in Bethlehem, but there's something else particular verse seven is gonna give us about the place, the, the place where he was laid. Let, let's take a look. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, I want to talk first about the inn and then we'll talk about the manger. Uh, when we picture the Christmas story, you know, part of the image in, in our contemporary context of what oh, the Christmas story is is uh, Mary and Joseph like frantically like knocking on doors of, of the inn and, and this like very like, you know, um, heartless innkeeper comes and folds his arms and points to the no vacancy sign and then like, you know, sort of like shrugs his shoulders and points out to the back stable. Okay. Probably not exactly how it was. In fact, an, I'm gonna burst a little bit of a bubble here maybe, but, but I hope to do it gently and kindly. It likely was not an in in the way that we think of an in. Let's talk about the Greek word. The, the, the Greek word translated in, there was no room for them in the in is katalima, Now, what is katalima? Occasionally, it can mean an inn. And and by the way, an inn, I'm talking about like a a place where you pay, like a public place where you would pay. It can occasionally mean that. Most often, it doesn't mean that. Most often, it's translated guest room. Guest room. So listen to Luke 22, okay? Same writer, using the same word later in his book, Luke 22, Jesus sends his disciples to find a place for the Last Supper, the, the Passover. He says, tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Katalima, same exact word. Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He wasn't asking for where's the hotel. He's saying, where's the guest room? Now, I wanna show you an an image of what um, the common home in first century Judah looked like. Okay, it was called the the four-roomed pillared house. There are... Dozens of these that have been uncovered, they're remarkably similar to each other. It seems like this was the architecture Uh, plan of the day. All right, let me explain what's, what's going on here. This is the home. You had two main levels and you had a roof up top here. The main living was done in the second floor. This is where the bedrooms were. Now, of course, this is a cutout, so it would have extended all the way over here. There would have been probably two, sometimes three rooms where people would sleep. The kitchen area where the cooking was done was down in this area. This was a big storage room where they would store, you know, food and oil and other things like that. But notice what you find right here. This is where they would keep their animals. It was a part of the house. It was on the lower level of the house, likely, Likely, the katalima, the guest room, was occupied. That would have been up here somewhere. Probably it was another relative that beat Joseph to the punch. So Joseph comes and he's pregnant with Mary and he comes to a relative's house because likely Joseph had relatives. This was the town that he was originally from. And the relative's like, I'm so sorry. If I'd known two weeks ago you were coming, I could have prepared for you. I feel so sorry your wife is pregnant. But the Joneses are already here and you know they've got four kids, you know, and they're already taking the katalima. They're already in the guest room. But, but, We would love to have you and we can offer you the stable, which was down here where the animals are. Now, I I know it might seem strange to have animals in our homes, but you and I have uh, a part of our house that's equivalent to this. Who can name what a part of our house is? The garage. Yeah, the garage. So you know they didn't have cars; they rode on animals. So where do they park their animals in the stable in their home? Like it's attached to their home. And, and we we're talking about twin services, and someone was talking about all the relatives they have come visiting, and they're like, maybe we'll put them in the garage. You know, run out of rooms. And, and I was like, that's actually not a crazy idea. The only reason that, that we wouldn't normally do that is because for most of us, we're, the garages are not heated, right? They're not air conditioned and heated. Back then, nothing was. In fact, this area down here was the, the most heated area of the house because that's where the animals were. So this was a good deal, right? You're kind of down here by the animals. No, maybe it didn't smell so good, but it was not a bad place to live. So I just want you to think about this uh, for, for just a minute. When we picture the nativity scene, rather than a heartless innkeeper turning Joseph and Mary away, more likely, like guys, not not definitively, we don't know, but more likely, someone whose name is lost to history, generously offered to take them in into an already crowded house and give them the only space they had left to offer. In other words, someone made room for Jesus. And in this Advent season of preparation, the text is inviting us as well to make room for Jesus. And I wanna spend the time we have left just imagining what might that be like for you? What might that take for you in the next four weeks to make room? You can go ahead and take that slide off the screen. What would it look like to make room for Jesus when there is no room? Uh, when Michael, if you don't mind taking that slide off the screen. Thanks, brother. Here's the thing that I've thought about. My, my calendar is packed. Your calendar is packed. I don't have space. I don't have time. Part of the reason that we wanted to give some good reflection this morning in that prayer time that Brian led and, was because we wanna give you time. You have to take time. It requires time, and that's the one thing that for most of you, you don't have. You're gonna have to sacrifice something. You're gonna have to give something up. You're gonna have to inconvenience yourself to make time. And we're gonna be part of that. Each Sunday, we'll give you time and space, but it's got to go beyond that for you to really reflect and allow your heart to be prepared. Now, the other thing you need besides time is you need a place. And I actually wanna encourage you to think differently about place just for this message. I could talk about, yeah, you need a time and a place, so find a good chair somewhere with your Bible. No, 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 that's not where I'm gonna go with that, although that's not a bad idea. I wanna talk about a different kind of place. What do we learn from the text? Where was Jesus Where was the first space Jesus occupied? A messy, dirty space. What does this mean? When you think about preparing room in your heart, it doesn't have to be a cleaned out space. It doesn't have to be in perfect order. In fact, he is most at home in the mess of your life. If you're like our family, when we have guests come over, we frantically clean as best as we can and and there's always that one closet where you put all the stuff that you don't know where else to put it and that door will stay shut. You will not open that closet door. Listen to this. That's often the place Jesus is most at home in the place you don't want anybody else to see. And so I might say it this way, Jesus is most at home in your fear. Jesus is most at home in your loss. Jesus is most at home in your darkness. He is most at home in your need and, and in your longing and wishing things were different than they are and in your hurting and he is most at home in your emptiness. You know, these are the stables of our lives, so to speak, the, the, the feeding troughs that we would never open our heart to Jesus. And he says, that's where I'm meant to be. That's, that's the, the fitting place for me, Jesus would say, because I have come not to be served, but to serve. I have come. Jesus would say, to be poor alongside you, to be weak even alongside you, to be messy with you, to labor and toil in the hardness of this world so that you can know that my burden is light for you. So how do you make room for Jesus in those places in your heart? Those really hard, cover them up. They're not ready for Jesus, places of your heart. Well, it starts by inviting him in. And that's why I wanted you to see the thing about the catalema the, the because most likely someone invited Jesus in. Someone made room. It wasn't a pretty space but they made it available, and that's what I want you to get out of this morning. What's the place in your heart that you've been unwilling to open the door for Jesus to be in that place, and are you willing to invite him in? I wanna bring the band back out, and we're gonna give you just a few moments to continue to reflect, and, and as they're coming back I just want to say this, you know, when, when we make room for Jesus in these these spaces, in these rooms of our heart that are hard and difficult and messy and and, and not clean and, and not, not ready for presentation, so to speak, it's not that the all the dirt disappears. You know, it's, it's not that magically the loss goes away, the hardship goes away, the pain goes away. So, you know, in the story, when Jesus was born and he, he was laid in that manger, it's not as if the stable was magically transformed into a palace. You know, it's not like the, the, the stuff from the animals that was lying on the floor that, that, that needed to be cleaned up was just suddenly scooped away and magically disappeared. And that's not how it happened. But what happens is Jesus's presence transforms the space. The manger was no longer a manger. It was the throne of the newborn king. And you couldn't have seen that with literal eyes if you were there, but it was. This the birth of God in human flesh. The manger actually was a palace, but it still didn't smell good, you see. And this is what it's like to live between the advents. Do you see this? It's like you invite Jesus into your heart and your problems don't magically go away, but you hold the tension. The things just don't quite smell right. They don't quite look right, but the presence of Jesus transforms them. And you hold on and you wait for the day when it will all be swept up and all be cleaned up. That is yet to come. That is what we find in Advent is a foretaste. of his second coming. And so the band's gonna sing a song for us and I just wanna start the song in in, in prayer. And and in order to do that, I wanna invite you to stand up and and we'll pray for a bit during my reflection and then we'll sing this song with the band. And This song is all about giving us space in our hearts to prepare room and inviting stillness. So would you bow your heads with me as we begin this? Father, I thank you for giving us an opportunity this morning, a time and a place that we can be still. That is really hard to find in the time and place where we live, especially in this season. So God, you've invited us into this space and there's nobody in this room right now or even watching online that was not invited in by you, that was not prompted to be here by you, that was not guided by you to be here in this space this morning. And so Father, we don't wanna miss what you would do in our hearts. So I do pray, Lord, would you give us the faith to open up places to you that we have not wanted you to be in, to talk to you about things that have been difficult for us to talk to you about, to to confess things that are there that that you already know and you're just longing for us to invite you in. And Father, I pray that as we do that, we would receive your presence. And I thank you, Jesus, that you've come to be with us. And it didn't have to be clean. You came anyway. And so, Father, may we invite you in. May we make room for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.